I'm going to be speaking out of the gospel of Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 14 this morning. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. Father, we thank you for, again, all of the celebration already. We celebrate what you did for us at the cross and the empty tomb. And Lord, I do pray and ask that every single person here individually would enter into that blessing. Lord, it's a personal walk with you. You've done so much and yet we have to enter into it personally. Speak to us in a wonderful way this morning, I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About five months ago, we began a verse-by-verse study of the Sermon on the Mount here on Sunday mornings. And we're so blessed to have that sermon recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is a sermon that Jesus himself taught. It is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. And we've been studying it. So normally on a Resurrection Sunday, I'll do a special resurrection message. But I didn't want to lose the momentum that we were gaining as we were studying that sermon. And Jesus is bringing that sermon to a crescendo. A very important decision time. And I think these words are extremely important for all of us who have gathered here together. So look what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now you will notice when you study the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is a preacher who shoots straight. He tells it exactly the way it is. He doesn't mince any words. And here he's shooting it to us straight. According to Jesus Christ, there are only two ways that you can take through life. Two gates, two roads, two crowds that you will walk with, and two destinations. Two ways. Now, I know that sounds odd for us as Americans who have many options to choose from in life. We have so many things that we can choose in life, so many different styles of clothing to choose, so many different colors, so many different products. You know, Apple's all excited now about their new phone being offered in yellow. (laughs) Get it in yellow. We have all these options when it comes to dining 
Baskin Robbins was established in 1953, offering 31 flavors, one for each day of the month. Their website now says that they offer well over 50. Starbucks claims to offer its customers over 80,000 different drink combinations. Have you ever been in line and you hear the guy in front of you say to the barista, make it a tall, half-calf, skinny soy latte at 120 degrees? And then you order, I'll have a cup of coffee. And you feel so unsophisticated. There are many things that we choose as Americans. It's part of freedom. For the most part, we can choose where we want to live. For the most part, we can choose a career path. But when it comes to the main way that you take in life, the main thinking, the main mindset, your convictions, there's only two ways. And Jesus says that that's true for everyone. Nobody's more important or special than anyone else. Nobody can say, you know, I have many ways that I can do. No, only two. Two ways. And you can't walk both paths. You have to choose one. Now notice how Jesus describes these ways. One way has a very wide gate. Easy to spot, right out there in the open. And it leads to a wide road, a broad road. It's roomy, spacious. It looks to be the easiest road. Jesus says at the end of verse 13, many go in by it. It's by far the most popular road. It's crowded Crowded on that road. And yet, everyone has room on that road to do their thing. But it's crowded. It would seem that that road looks to be the most exciting path to take. Lots of glitter and lights and entertainment and fun on that path. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Except for one thing, and it's a big thing. Jesus said it leads to what? Destruction, very, very strong word in the Greek language. Catastrophic failure. Perdition. Ruin. So it's a big, open, popular, exciting road to travel. But eventually the road comes to the edge of an abyss. The other way has a narrow entrance to it. It's a narrow gate. You have to look for it. It's not easy to spot. And it's it's, it's only big enough for people to get in one at a time. In fact, you sort of have to squeeze through it. It's like one of those turnstiles. One at a time goes through the gate. Only you, and you can't bring any suitcases. No baggage, just you. And Jesus said that narrow gate enters into a difficult path. The Greek word could also be translated narrow, which makes sense. Narrow gate, narrow path. It's confined. It's restricted. It is hard. By far, 
It's the less popular path by far. Jesus said few find it, few walk on it. It is certainly the road less traveled. So that road doesn't look as appealing, does it? Not as exciting. But here's the thing, and it's a big thing. It leads to what? Life. Life as God wants you to have it. Eternal life. Abundant life. This is a road that does not lead to an abyss that you fall into. It leads to a heaven that you ascend to. So, very simple. Two options. Wide gate, wide path. Difficult. Wide gate, wide path. Easy, popular. Leads to destruction. Narrow gate, narrow path. Difficult, unpopular but leads to life. Those are the choices that Jesus puts before us this morning. And by the way, Jesus is just simply affirming a truth that you find throughout all of Scripture. All of Scripture affirms these two ways, these two paths. God spoke to his people Israel through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet to his people Israel. In Jeremiah 21 verse 8 it says, Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Two ways. Two paths. Now, what is Jesus getting at? What are these different ways? What is the meaning of all this? Well, listen to Psalm 1-6. I believe that that's what Jesus was speaking of or thinking about when he made these statements. Psalm 1 verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. One way, the way of the righteous. The other way, the way of the ungodly. Those two ways. And remember, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling his people how to live a life of righteousness. So, the wide gate, the broad way, the popular way, represents the way of the ungodly, the unrighteous. The worldly system that is anti-God. It's the journey where people live their lives outside of the will of God. Outside of a relationship with God. And it is in fact a very wide open path and way. There are no moral absolutes on that path. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to do sexually, financially, recreationally. You can do marriage the way you want to do marriage, date the way you want to date, do whatever. You can treat people any way you want to. You can live the selfish life that you want to live. There are some people that you can abuse and crush. Because it's a dog-eat-dog world and survival of the fittest, 
There's friendships on that road, but many of them are superficial, shallow. It's like Facebook. you got 2,000 friends. But only three that might loan you 20 bucks. No moral absolutes. By the way, there are no absolutes on that road when it comes to what you believe in. You can believe whatever you want to believe. As long as you're sincere, as long as you don't bother you, just, just believe whatever you want to believe. So there are atheists who travel that road. There are agnostics. There are total heathens. And you should know that there are religious people that travel that road. Religion is widely practiced on that broad road. You know that. There are way more than 31 flavors of religion you can pick. And you can pick. Pick a religion, do some church time, throw in some meditation, play with some crystals. Do some good things every now and then. Give a little bit of charity to different things. You know, there's a very popular statement that people say, you've probably heard this. They say, all roads lead to heaven. They say, all roads lead to God. That's a very popular statement with the travelers on the one road leading to destruction. And believe me, Jesus says it leads to destruction. You'll find what you think to be a lot of happy people on that road, but it's plastic smiles. There's a lot of destruction on that road, train wrecks on that road, broken relationships, broken marriages, broken friendships, lives destroyed and ruined by addiction and greed and hatred and bitterness. And there's loneliness and there's depression and there's an overwhelming sense of guilt that people live with. There are people who have everything in this world, but they wake up every morning and say, I'm not happy. Lots of destruction on that road. And what would you expect? No lanes, no lines, no limits. There's bound to be some crashes and loss of life. And Jesus is saying, if you die while traveling that road, you will go into an eternity apart from God. You will perish. The way of the unrighteous. So the narrow gate, the narrow way, the difficult way, represents the way of the righteous. And it is hard. It is difficult. The Bible refers to this road as a race, a climb, a battle, a voyage, a course. Listen carefully. There are moral absolutes on the narrow way. There are rules, there are commandments, there are laws to keep. And by the way, I didn't invent those morals. No Christian preacher invented those morals. No Christian invented those morals. Those morals are revealed to us by God in his word. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. 
There are things that are good and there are things that are bad. There are things that are acceptable and things that aren't acceptable. There are things you should do. There are things that you should not do. And you see that all over the scripture. The Ten Commandments are pretty straightforward, don't you think? Have no other God before me, the God who made you says to you. Have no other God before me. Don't bow before any carved images. Have no idols. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Very straightforward. The Bible gives clear instructions on marriage and family and parenting and dating and friendship and sexual purity and life in the womb. It gives clear instructions concerning money and career and honesty and forgiveness and generosity. The word of God gives clear instruction how we're to treat other people. We're to do unto others as we would have them do to us. The Bible says that we're to love our neighbors. Jesus, in this very sermon, says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who spitefully use you. The Bible teaches that as his people, we're to prefer others. Serve others. It's a difficult path. Those commands are hard. They fly in the face of popular culture. But my friend, listen carefully. Jesus says there's life in those commands. There's life. God hasn't given us those commands to spoil our fun, to spoil our lives. Those are boundaries to keep our lives protected. To bring wholeness to our lives. To bring beauty to our lives. Man, if you follow what the scripture says about things, it leads to beautiful marriages and families. Productive, fruitful people. Not lives destroyed by addiction and greed. You know, if you were to keep the commandments in the Bible, it would save you from thousands of tragic consequences in your life. It's life. Jesus says, follow my ways. It's life. It's for our our health. You know, when the doctor gives you a prescription of medicine, he tells you how much you can take, whatever that dose might be. What if you got upset by that information? They told me I could only take one. But they look so pretty, I want three. That's silly, and you know it. Because the rule established the boundaries for your health. And that's exactly what the commandments in Scripture are like. And there are moral absolutes. On that narrow road, there are absolutes when it comes to truth. Listen, this is so important. You don't get to make up your own truth. And there aren't many truths for all people. 
There's one truth. And you are to submit yourself to that one truth. The Bible teaches very clearly truth. There is a God who created us, loves us, made us. And we are accountable to that God. We're all accountable to the God who made us. The Bible teaches that the problem with the human race is that we've fallen into sin. It's a sinful human race. He created us with a free will. He created us with choice. And in the Garden of Eden, we blew it. We chose wrongly. Sin came into the world. Because of our sin, we're separated from God, and there's so many tragic consequences. And the truth is that every single one of us desperately needs to be saved. We all desperately need God in our life. That truth, that leads to life. And by the way, When you die walking on that path, you will go to heaven and live with God for all of eternity. So two ways, the way of the righteous, the way of the ungodly. Which way does Jesus recommend? What does he tell us in verse 13? What does he say? Enter by the narrow gate. That's not just a recommendation. That's not just a strong recommendation. That's a command. Jesus would say to each one of us individually this morning, choose the narrow gate. Choose the narrow path. Choose the difficult path. Choose the unpopular path. Choose life. And you say, well, how do I enter that narrow gate? Listen very carefully. The Bible's very precise on this. It's narrow, and you need to know what it says. First, please understand that the righteous life that God wants us to live is beyond our reach. We can't do it. There's no way we can live a righteous life. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short from the righteousness of God. God is perfect. He's without sin. He's holy. He's righteous. We don't even come close. We can't save ourselves. We can't create a gate for ourselves. We can't. The human race is in a terrible condition according to the scripture, and that's the bad news. But here's the good news. God moved in history to make a gate. God has moved in history to make it possible for us to become righteous. To have all of our sins forgiven. And he did that by sending his son Jesus. The preacher whose words that we just read on the screen wasn't just a preacher. Jesus is the son of God who left heaven and came to earth. He's God who became man. And he came for the sole purpose of making it possible for you and I to be forgiven of our sins. To rescue us. He came to redeem us. 
And the Bible teaches that he came to die on the cross to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He came to die. The Bible says that sin separates us. Sin deserves judgment, punishment, death. That's what we all deserve. But God came up with this ingenious, wonderful, glorious plan that preserves his justice and elevates his grace and love at the same time. If the perfect one would be willing to give his life in place of the guilty ones, take the punishment, then the guilty ones could be forgiven. And that is the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven, became man, lived a perfect life. And as a perfect sacrifice and substitute, went to that cross and became our sin bearers. He bore all of our sins. The sacrifice that Jesus made, we will never be able to understand. It'll take all of eternity for us to understand how he suffered. Good Friday, we just talked about that. The the physical agony, the crown of thorns, the scourging, the, the, the act of crucifixion, all of that was horrific. But the worst part was that God's son bore your sin and my sin. All that sin was placed upon him and he died in our place. Think back to the magnifying glass you played with as a child. If you held it under the sun's rays, you could start a fire. Remember how you focused the white spot of its concentrated light on a leaf or a bug? Only boys did the bug, by the way. It began to burn. Someone said our sins were focused on Christ on the cross. And he suffered the fiery wrath of God for your sins. All my junk, all our junk. Jesus died on that cross. His body was wrapped in grave clothes. He was placed in a tomb. He was buried. He paid the price. But today we've gathered to celebrate that that tomb's empty. Amen. My friend, on the third day, on a beautiful morning, our Lord rose from the grave. The stone was removed. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very, very, very important to the story. Christ has defeated death, and if you belong to him, he's defeated death for you. If you belong to Jesus, you'll be raised to new life like him. But even more so, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave proves that God the Father in heaven accepted that sacrifice. That the the payment was paid in full. And so Jesus... Opened the gate. He made the way possible. For sins to be forgiven. For people to become righteous. 
And how do you enter into that gate? You must place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You must admit your sinfulness. You must admit that you need him. You must acknowledge the price that was paid. And the work that was accomplished. And that the precious blood of Christ was spilled. You must receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you have to do it for yourself. You don't go to heaven on someone else's coattails. You don't go to heaven because your dad saved. Or your grandmother saved. A ticket to heaven is free, but it's good for only one admission. Each person has to step into that turnstile and say yes and humble themselves and cry out in desperation for the God who loves you. That's the ticket. Someone brilliantly said that the entrance into that narrow gate is marked by two signposts. And the first signpost is the first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus starts the sermon. The first beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are bankrupt spiritually, who acknowledge how desperately bankrupt they are. Jesus said to those people, kingdom of heaven. The second signpost is the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the people who know how desperately they need a Savior, and they mourn for it. They fall on their face for it. The Bible teaches that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he'll forgive you of all your sins. You will become a brand new creation. In fact, the Bible teaches that a transaction takes place when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all your sin is transferred to Jesus and he dies for it. And all his righteousness is transferred to you. All of your sins are forgiven. And here's the thing. Not only when you place your faith in Jesus Christ are you saved and you're forgiven. But the Bible teaches that you can also become a brand new person. He makes you born again. Have you heard that statement? Born again. Jesus came up with it. He said you can be born again. You become a new creation. The Bible teaches that when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. All of a sudden, you're on that path, and it is still difficult. Don't get me wrong, but you have the Spirit. You're empowered to walk that righteous life that God wants you to live. He can deliver you from addiction. He can change your life. He can save a marriage. He can save relationships. It's hard, but you, it, it can happen. Not only does he save you, but he empowers you to walk that road. You know, I've been a Christian for 45 years. I stepped through that narrow gate 45 years ago. 
And I'll be honest, it's not, it's not always been easy. It's a hard road. We stumble and we fall on that road. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. If you sit here and you think, well, those Christians are hypocrites. They always Look, Christians don't claim to be perfect. I mean, I've known a few of them and I don't associate with them. But they don't claim to be perfect. We all know, you know, Christianity, you know, the gospel, you know what preaching has been called? One beggar telling other beggars where to get food. No, the righteous life is not easy. And I've stumbled. And I've fallen. And you can see some tough things happen in Christians' life who make mistakes. But it is the way of life. And when you stumble and fall, Jesus Christ is there to pick you up dust you off, restore you, get you started again. And it is a path that is filled with life. Meaning. Purpose. Satisfaction. And it all starts by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now it's narrow. I mean, Jesus, he's, like I said, he's huge straight. Enter by the narrow gate. There's two gates. Choose which gate. The Bible also teaches that there's only one way to enter that narrow gate, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, John chapter 10, Jesus himself said, I'm the gate. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In John 14, verse 6, words from Jesus I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He's the gate. You say, well, is he arrogant in saying those things? Is he intolerant? No, Jesus is simply telling the truth. Jesus is the only religious leader who died on the cross for you and rose again that third day. Faith in him works. It functions as promised. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven. If there was any other way, why would Jesus do what he did? In fact, you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? The night that Jesus was arrested, he was agonizing over what he was about to do. And he even prays to the Father, if possible, take this cup. Jesus said, are there any other ways? Silence from heaven. One way. And there Jesus went. To offer himself up so that there could be true hope for the human race, so there could be salvation. Enter the narrow gate, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to know something, and this is very important. There is an enemy, there is an enemy, his name is Satan. He's referred to as Satan in the Bible. He is real, he has. 
countless thousands of demonic hordes at his disposal. And I want you to know they are working overtime to keep people on the broad road. They want to make it look as exciting as possible. The worldly system wants you on that wide road. The majority, perhaps, of people in your life would say, get on the wide road. Stay on the wide road. By the way, are the majority always right throughout history? (laughs) Very often, they're usually wrong. Please understand that you can also be self-deceived about this. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. My friend, listen, don't trust your own instincts on this. Don't trust what the worldly system is saying. Trust what Jesus said right here. He's the one who died and rose again for you. He's the one who left heaven to come and rescue. Trust him. And remember, he has the bird's eye view. He's the... He sees the map. He sees your life on the map. And, you know, he can zoom out. And he can, seize the path. he can see the path that you're on, the beginning and the end where you're leading. He knows. Trust him. Enter onto his path. Invite Jesus Christ into your life. There's a church in upstate Michigan that has a very steep, gabled roof. The raindrops that land side by side on that roof roll off in one of two directions. Some slide down the mountain into tributaries that flow into the mighty Mississippi, which dumps into the Gulf of Mexico, whereas other raindrops slip off the same roof the other direction into streams that fill the Great Lakes and eventually work their way into the Atlantic Ocean. It's amazing. Water pellets that fell side by side end up thousands of miles apart. Their long-range trajectory was determined by where they came down on a single point. And that is true for each and every one. Where are you coming down on a single point? What will you choose? Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? I want to invite you on this Resurrection Sunday. If you have not received Christ, I want you to do so right now. And my brother and sister in Christ, I want your commitment to Jesus to be renewed on this Sunday. Thinking about what he's done. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for just telling us the way it is. And we thank you that you moved in history to make that gate available. We thank you that there's always hope with you.
that we can get so messed up on that broad way. But when we turn to you, you can take our lives and change it and transform it. We thank you for the tremendous sacrifice that you made that we might have that possibility. We thank you that you are alive and victorious over death and you're right here in our midst right now. On this beautiful Resurrection Sunday morning, I want you to have an opportunity If you've not yet prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to pray that with you right now. Maybe lots of people in your family have been praying for you. Maybe there's a crowd in your life that you're afraid that you might offend and think you might lose some friends. Well, you know what? When I gave my life to Jesus, many of my friends came with me because I decided that I was going to start following Jesus and Jesus saved me radically and I had friends that wanted to know what was different and I got the opportunity to lead them to Christ so that they're on the road to life and still to this day my best friends. I'd like to pray that prayer with you. If you're here and you need to pray that prayer, I want you to acknowledge that. I want you to raise your hand high so I can see it. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. I see your hand. God bless you. Keep that hand up. Anybody else? I see your hand right there. Anybody else? Your hand. I see you. God bless you. Another hand right there. I see you. God bless you. Anybody else? Two hands over here on the left. I see you. My left. Now you can put your hands down. Anybody else? Okay, you've acknowledged that by raising your hand up. Think of that hand as a, as, a, as, a, as a reaching up to heaven for help, asking Jesus to save you. And you do it simply in, in a prayer where you ask Christ. You, you say, I want to enter that gate. So I'm going to lead you right now in that prayer. Just in the quietness of your heart, I want you to repeat this after me. You say, Lord Jesus, I want right now to enter the narrow gate. Right now I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I want on your road, your path. I admit humbly before you that I'm a sinner, that I fall short. 
And yet I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and paying the price. Wash away all my sins. Put me on your road. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so grateful for you. I want you to know if you just prayed to receive Christ, I, I, I want to give you something. I want to give you one of these things, these little brochures that will steer you to a place on our website where you can begin growing in your faith. If you don't have a Bible, I want to give you a Bible. I want to get you on a list. We'll, we'll get a brand new Bible for you. So if you prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to have some of these right up here in the front. Come forward. Let me give that to you. Or there's also some of these that are available at our information booth in the back. Let's stand.